Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Lord, for being grateful. Thank you, Lord, for being faithful. Despite all the times we have turned our eyes and turned our back on you, you have been faithful, God. Lord, at this time, as we prepare to hear about your faithfulness through your word, I pray that you would just meet us here. You would show us you. You would show us how magnificent and wonderful you are. Help us to turn our eyes to you. Help us to see you clear today, Lord. Father, all this is not for a show, but it's for your glory and your glory alone, Lord. And if you do not meet us here, it is worthless. It is clinging symbols in your ears. But God, we pray for your spirit to have its way in this church today. We're so thankful that you have brought us here one more time to hear of your faithfulness. So Lord, as we turn our hearts and turn our attention to your word, open our eyes, give us ears to hear. Give us hands to receive you and your great gifts. And help us to leave this place changed and more focused on you. Recommitted to you, Lord. So Lord, we lift all these things up to you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have your seat. Thank you, worship team. Thank you. Amen. I just want to put her on the spot. She hate this Lauren. This was Lauren's first time on the worship team, and she did amazing. I just wanted to put her on the spot. She, uh, you can fuss at me later, but great job. Great job. I'm so proud of her. Uh, well, family, today we'll be picking up our time in the book of Nehemiah. We've got th- two more weeks in Nehemiah. Uh, just a quick couple of uh, updates. So next Sunday, we will have Dr. Reverend Andre Melvin coming to preach for me. I had to get all the titles out, yes. Uh, Dr. Reverend, Dr. Melvin is a professor at CIU and the pastor of Temple Zion right here in the Eau Claire community. I'm so excited to have that brother come and preach. Um, yeah, I'm just so excited. So when he gets here, we got to make sure he feels welcomed and loved to a city of refuge party in here, okay? And also, I want to give a shout out to uh, Lake Murray Evangelical Church for being in the building today. I see my brother Patrick, and I see quite a few of his family and, and his church members with us. So we're so thankful that you guys are with us today to fellowship. And um, after service, I pray we can share a good meal together and just laugh around and thank the Lord for his faithfulness. All right, today we'll be picking back up in Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10. I got some good news for you. I'm not reading 9 through 10. We're just going to read chapter 10, verse 28 through the end of the chapter, 28 through 39. I know it says on your bulletins 30 through uh, 39, but I thought 28 would give us a better 
picture of what's taking place. And this is our sermon series, Building a Church to Rebuild the City. Um, And the text reads, The rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, and temple servants, along with their wives, sons, and daughters, everyone who is able to understand and who has separated themselves from the surrounding people to obey the law of God, join with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses and to obey carefully all the commands, ordinance, and statutes of the Lord our Lord. We will not give our daughters in marriage to the surrounding peoples, and we will not take their daughters as wives for our sons. When the surrounding peoples bring merchandise or any kind of grain into sale on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We will also leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year and will cancel every debt. We will impose the following commands on ourselves to give an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly for the service of the house of the Lord, the bread displayed before the Lord, the daily grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath and new moon offering, the appointed festivals, the holy things, the sin offering to atone for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We will cast lots among the priests, Levites, and people for the the donation of wood by our ancestral families at the appointed time each year. They are to bring the wood to our God's house, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We will bring the first fruit of our land and of every fruit tree to the Lord's house year by year. We will also bring the firstborn of our sons and our livestock, as prescribed by the law. And we'll bring the firstborn of our herds and flocks to the house of, the, of God. To the priests who serve in our God's house, we will bring a loaf from our first batch of dough to the priests at the, sto- at the storerooms of the house of, the, of our God. We will also bring the first fruits of our grain offerings, of every fruit tree, and the new wine and fresh oil. A tenth of our land's produce belongs to the Levites, for the Levites are to collect the one-tenth offering in all our agricultural towns. A priest from Aaron descendants is to accompany the Levites when they collect the tenth, and the Levites are to take a tenth of this offering to the storefront storerooms of the treasury in the house of our God. For the Israelites and the Levites are to bring the contributions of grain, new wine, and fresh oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are kept and where the priests who minister are, along with the gatekeepers and singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, The subject of our sermon today is called A Proper Response. Uh, Over 2020 and 2019, um, there was a lot of things that was happening in our our day and age, from politics, uh, 
from gun violence to injustice on TV, from a global pandemic. There was a lot of things that was just taking place. And it was a reoccurring question I was getting from many of my friends when they found themselves at a, at a crossroads. It was, how should I respond? Now, usually these questions uh, from most of them were more of what should I say or post on social media, but the truth of the matter is, and that's not all of them, some of them had genuine concerns and wanted to know how they could do more, but they were really caring about how did it look when they responded? What did it look like what they said? See, they were always asking, what should I say? What should I do at this moment? And I think the better question isn't what should I say, but it should be what should my response lead me to do? Today in our text, we're seeing the Israelites are finally coming to terms in a lot of ways with the wrong that they've done and the wrong they've seen all around them. And they are coming to a place where they're going to give a proper response to sin. See, the reality is, the reason all of us have this question of how should I respond when things go wrong in our world is because all of us know that our world is wrong. Something is wrong. Things aren't the way it should be. And we want to be right in a wrong world, but we're not looking to the one who calls, who who measures and accounts all things as right. We're not looking to the one that we measure rightfulness towards. So the Israelites, they're about to show us where we should look. And we can walk away from this place seeing how should we respond in a sinful world, in a broken world. And you know, the best way to start that conversation is in the prophetic words of Michael Jackson when he said, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, well, take a look at us and take a look at yourself, then make a change. That's what the Israelites were about to do. Now, before we dive deeply into our text, we want to pick up on verse one in chapter nine. And like I said, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to get a quick overview of what's happening. Last week, Wayne showed us that the Israelites were coming to gather around the word. So to catch us up, Israel's been in exile. For over 70 years, they've been under the rule of the Persian king. God has broken Nehemiah's heart to say, you should go and be a comforter for my people and restore the city. He is gone. The Lord has shown his hand, his faithfulness as he continued to go. And he has given Nehemiah all this faithfulness over time. And as Nehemiah was getting the resources to rebuild the city, we had outside, uh, outside issues coming up to try to stop the work. But the Lord showed himself as strong. Then we had internal struggles come up. And then the Lord showed himself as strong. And then in chapter 7, we see finally, after almost five to six years, the work is done. And then Wayne reminded us last year that after the work was done and the people had returned to the home, it says now we must reestablish our ways with the Lord. We must recenter ourselves. And Ezra had stepped up and he opened the word of the Lord and he started to read the commands to the Lord. Read the commands of the Lord to the people. And the people, their first response was to start weeping. 
And Nehemiah and Ezra said there ain't time for that. No, actually, we should rejoice because the Lord's word is being read. We should rejoice. And they had this big feast and festival, and now we're ending off on the festival of booths, and we find ourselves at a very interesting few days after. Now it's like, okay, now it's time to really get to the bottom of what's going on. So this picks up after the Feast of Booths, and it says that the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners, and they stood and they started confessing their sins and the iniquities of their, sin, of their ancestors. And while they stood in this place, they read the book of the law from the Lord and from God and for a fourth of the day. So they read for over six hours the book of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to be here for six hours. Let me give you a heads up. I know it's a lot of text, but I ain't going to be here for six hours. But the best way to break this text up, it kind of has three thrusts. Uh, We see verses 6 through 15 is where they say over 86 times, you and yours, showing the faithfulness of God. Starting off in verse 6, it says, You, Lord, are the only God. You created the heavens and the highest heavens from all the stars. And then he goes on and says, You give life to all of them, and all the stars of heaven worship you. You, the Lord, are the God who chose Abram. You brought him out of Ur. You found his heart faithful in your sight, and you made a covenant with him. You have fulfilled your promises, for you are righteous. You saw the oppression of our ancestors. For those who may not know the Bible that well, what is happening is he's giving them a quick overview of the Pentateuch. This is one of the longest prayers in the Old Testament that points back to the earlier parts of the Old Testament. And he's doing this this rundown of how great and holy our God is. So the first thing he wants us to see is stop what you're doing. And if you're going to look in the mirror, first look to God. Because God is a giver and a deliverer. You you hear this language? He, He gave all of creation. He gave the breath of life. He got the stars worshiping him. He chose Abram and then gave him a promise and made a covenant with him. And he fulfilled his promise. And then he said he is righteous. And then he saw the oppression of our ancestors in Egypt. So this is going from Genesis now to Exodus when the Israelites have been captive in this city, captive in Egypt, and they have become slaves. And they're crying out because, well, they've captive. But he said, because you've made a comment, you've made a covenant with them. You saw the oppression of our ancestors. And then he performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh. For you knew how arrogantly they treated our ancestors. And he did all this. Look at verse 10, close to the end. He said, you did all this so you can make a name for yourself. He did all of this with the Israelites so that he could make a name. The name that he was trying to make with them is Yahweh, the self-sustaining, the one who's been here from the beginning, the one who has always made promises and always delivered. He is the one God they should look to. And as they're looking to him, and he, they're worshiping him. He does this so that all others will look to him and worship him. 
Do you see this thrust of faithfulness from God so far? Just from the first two, two chapters, two books of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus. So they're starting off pointing, God is faithful, y'all. God is faithful. Do you understand that God has been faithful to you? And even in the times where you didn't realize it, the times when you were crying silently at night and didn't know that anyone would hear you, God was faithful to hear it and bring you through those times. The times when you prayed for even the craziest things, yet when somehow it was delivered, God was faithful. This was the God that they were pointing to, the God who fulfills promises. And he said, he, you performed great wonders with our people against Pharaoh. You knew how arrogantly he treated our ancestors. You even did something as crazy as dividing the Red Sea before them so they could cross over on dry ground. You hurled their pursuers into the depth. I mean, he destroyed their enemies. And then when they were in the wilderness, you led them with the pillar of cloud by day and with the pillar of fire by night. And then after all that, God just didn't do this and then kind of be silent away from them. He came down on Mount Sinai, spoke to them from heaven, and then he gave his word. He gave his statutes, his reliable instructions, as the words say. He gave all these things to them. And at that time, he wasn't asking anything from them. He was just giving them his good and faithful hand. Even as far as he revealed his holy Sabbath to them. For those who don't know what a Sabbath is, it means he gave them a, a real rest. He gave them a full rest family. Do you understand? We have been promised rest. For people like me who are so weary in my soul and feel as though the, some days the walls are caving in, he said, you can come to me and find rest. You can stop from all your toil. This is what he gave a whole nation of people and family. This is what he gives individually to us also. He gives us rest. And all this was through the first represented the first type of Messiah that they would claim his servant Moses. And then not only did he give them rest, but while they were in the wilderness, he provided bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water from the rock for their thirst. And then you, even after that, he told them, go and possess all the land. I'll give you everything in front of you. Go possess the land I have sworn to give you. When we hear all of this of how faithful he's been to Israel, it makes perfect sense why Jeremiah would cry out to them in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5. This is what the Lord God says. What fault did your ancestors find with me? What, 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 what fault could they really find with me that they went so far from me? And they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Man, that was a word to Israel, but I think that's a word for us today. So many of us are looking for worthless idols and putting our hope in all these worthless things and then wondering why our life seems so worthless. Our politics of the day is worthless. 
The money that we gain, it never is enough. It's worthless. How we try to protect and sh- protect our, our self pre- or have self-preservation to protect our image. At the end of the day, our image is worthless in itself outside of God. We idolize these things. We idolize and it's leading us to nothing. The author of Ecclesiastes said that life is fleeting. It's like a vapor. It leads to nothing at the end of the day. But then the last thing he says in Ecclesiastes, he said, enjoy your God. (laughs) Just enjoy your God and all the great gifts that God has given you because life is vanity. It's leading to nothing. So Nehemiah starts off with this prayer of just how faithful God is, kind of this look at God, look to God, God the giver and deliverer. And then it's almost like now he turns and says, now look at your track record. Look, look at our track record. Verse 16, but our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return them to the slavery in Egypt. This is actually coming from the book of Numbers when uh, they saw the promised land and they saw all the giants in the land and they said, we will never be able to overtake that. Even though God was on their side, they tried to rally up new leaders to take them back to the place they had them in bondage, the very place they cried out from in the first place. And the Lord showed up. So we see this reoccurring theme from verses 16 through 26 of our rebellion but also God's mercifulness. Look at the rest of verse, look at the rest of verse 17 with me. It says, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. You did not abandon them. Even if they cast an image of a, a golden calf for themselves and said, this is our God who brought you out of Egypt. And they committed terrible blasphemies. Again, we see this rebellious nature. They're looking to everything but God. Verse 19, you did not abandon them in the wilderness because of your great compassion. During the day, of pil- during the, day the pillar of cloud never turned away from them, guiding them on their journey. And during the night, the, the pillar of fire illuminated the way they should go. You sent your good spirit to instruct them. You hear that? You sent your good spirit. We're we're sending nothing but rebellion towards God, but he sends his good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold manna from their mouths. And you gave them water for their thirst. You provided for them in the wilderness 40 years and they lacked nothing. Even though the fact that they were in the wilderness was because of their own rebellion, they lacked nothing. Their, cla- their clothes didn't even wear out. Their feet never swell. And you gave them kingdoms, peoples, and established boundaries for them. Family, as they're praying this, this should actually be really good news to us because that shows as much as we might rebel towards God, he's still faithful and gracious. He's still compassionate. He still will step in and love us despite our sins at time. Now, there is a time where he will get 
exhausted, not exhausted for the sake of he can't take it no more. But honestly, this is a way that our sins will draw us back to him. Jump down to verse 27 through 30. At this point, it's where we kind of have to stop just looking at God and then looking at ourselves, but kind of accept what has caused us to be in the situation we're in. Verse 27, he said, so you handed them over to the enemies who oppressed them. In their times of distress, they cried out to you, and you heard from heaven. And your abundant compassion, again, even when he turned them over to their enemies, turned them over so that they would be, dis- they would be overcome by their enemies, he still was listening out for their cries. Do you understand? That means God's mercy is so much bigger than your sin. So much bigger than your rebellion. So much bigger than the times when you reject him. He's still listening and just waiting. Because he's like, sooner or later, they're going to need me. They'll need me a lot, a lot quicker than I would need them. So he turned them over. Their consequences was by their own actions, because of their own sin, because of their own rejection of God. Yet he still heard them. And in his compassion, he delivered them. He rescued them from the power of the enemy. But as soon as they had relief, again, so often like we do, as soon as, as soon as things like, seem like, okay, it's back on the right track, it's going the way we want it to go, we forget about our God. We forget, forget about our God. And they did again what was evil in your sight. So he abandoned them to the power of their enemies who dominated. And again, when they cried out to him, he heard from heaven and rescued them many times in his compassion. And he told them over and over again, turn back to my law. But they acted arrogantly and would not obey his commands. They sinned against his ordinance. They stubbornly resisted. They were stiff-necked. This is the language that the prayer is. We're stiff-necked, Lord. We were stiff-necked towards you. Yet you were patient with them. And you loved us so much that you sent prophets to warn of our rejection towards you. And they would not listen. And even when you handed us over to the surrounding people, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and compassionate God. There's a question that often is asked is, if God is so good, why does he allow bad things to happen? Well, this prayer kind of indicates the reason bad things continue to happen is because we continue to reject a good God. We could continue to turn away from the one who's compassionate to us. And when he takes his hands off, it's not to drop us, but for us to feel that if we we don't cry out to him, we will be crushed. Bad things don't happen to good people because God doesn't care. Bad things happen to people because people are sinful. And here's the beauty of it. For those who've had bad things happen to them at the sake of somebody else because of somebody else's sin, that compassionate God will judge them and you need him just as much as they need him. He is still a just and holy God who will move into those who cry out to him. 
So, so far we see they look to God, then they had to look at themselves, and then they had to accept why they're in this moment. And in verse 32 through 38, they had to acknowledge the, the, acknowledge the present state of issue. They had to acknowledge where they were at this moment. So seeing the rundown of, God, you've been faithful, we haven't, and now this is, a, and now this is where we are. Starting in verse 32, it says, So now our God, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious commandments, who cre- keeps his gracious covenant, do not view lightly all the hardship that have afflicted us. Our kings and leaders, our priests and prophets, our ancestors, and all your people from the day of the Assyrian kings until today, you are righteous concerning all, these, all that has happened to us because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to your commands and warnings you gave them. When they were in their kingdom with your abundant goodness that you gave them and in the spacious and fertile land you set before them, they would not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. So it's like, this is why we're here. Because our people, us included, would not listen to you, would not respond to you, would not turn to you. And in verse 36, it says, here we are today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they can enjoy its fruits and goodness. Here we are slaves in it. Literally, the promised land has now become the place of bondage for them. The place that it was promised that they would eat and get, eat and take of the harvest of the land has now become the place where they are the weakest and broken. And they knew the reason why is because of us. Can you acknowledge today the reason some of the things are going on in your life is possibly because of your own sin? Because of the decisions you've made. And maybe it wasn't decisions you inherently made. Maybe you're inheriting somebody else's decisions that have affected you. See, this is the beauty of the cross. The cross didn't just save us from our own personal sins, but it also saves us from the sins of those that's been committed towards us. It is the place where justice has been met on all behalves, the justice of things that have been done to us. And we ask God, justify us, O God. Be righteous. Judge these things right. And he has. And then he also, we also are being justified and he is judging us right. And that's what he's doing. And this is what they're saying. They said, look, we're here today because of what happened to us and because of what we've personally done. See, this has led to a right type of grief. This has led to a right kind of distress they're in. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, he says, I now rejoice not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. 
For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God's wills, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice in every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this manner. Literally what Paul is saying is, hey, if you're feeling that weight right now, if you're feeling the wrong you're doing, good. If you're being convicted because you have done so many wicked things before God and you're feeling convicted, good, because this should produce to a godly type of life. A true salvation without regret. A hope that you can hold on to. Not this worldly type of regret. This worldly grief, which tells you you have to make it right yourself, to do right, to put more on yourself. But actually a godly type of grief that says, God, you have been faithful. And I turn to you. And that's what the Israelites are doing at this moment. So now we're getting towards our, the text I read today. After all of these things, they say, okay, Lord, I'm making a covenant with you. You've continuously shown us your covenant. You've continuously been, been faithful to us. So now it's time for us to turn and repent. And their repentance wasn't just, what should I say? What should I say to make this right? No, there was a repentance and a commitment that went along with that. Jumping to chapter 10, verse 28 down. If you want to go back and read it, verses 1 through 27 is literally a list of names of all those who said, I sign off on this, I sign off on this. As this covenant is being created, these are all the witnesses we have. The priests, the Levites, the, the preachers, the, the singers, this is all the people we have. And then 28 through 39 is where it says, okay, this is what we're going to do, Lord, to show that we're serious this time. It says the rest of the people in verse 28... The priests, the Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, along with their wives, sons, and daughters, and everyone who is able to understand, who has separated themselves from the surrounding people to obey the law of God, join with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God, given through God's servant, Moses, and to obey carefully all the commands, ordinance, and statutes of the Lord our God. What's interesting in our in, in other translation, it literally says, we promise these things, and if we don't, curse us. We are promising, holding on to the law of God, and if we break away from the law of God, we should be held accursed. Showing that the promise of God is so good, and they know that he is so merciful and so faithful that if they commit to him, if they break the commitments, they know that his curses are just to bring them back in, not to destroy them. And that's why we can commit to God. Because he doesn't make us commit and say, if you mess up, I'm going to get you. I'm going to destroy you. No, no, no. Our commitments to God is literally him saying, okay, you're with me. And if we get out of line, he says, hold on, let me pull you back in. Let me pull you back in. And it was the men, the women, and the children who were present. He said, and, and here are some of the things, they, the details of the vow. They said, we will not give our daughters a marriage to the surrounding peoples and will not take their daughters as wives of our sons. Now, that might seem strange. Why? Why are they worried about their kids intermarrying? 
Well, the reason why is they know if my child in a marriage, there's a good chance they're going to take on the gods of the other nations. They're going to start worshiping the gods of other nations. And just to protect them from that ever happening and making sure we stay pure and holy before the God who has given us all these things, we're not even going to let our kids go over there. Now, that doesn't mean today that we should keep people away from our, 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 our ethnicities and keep people away and from marrying our children. No, but we should vet if they worship our God if they follow our king. Interracial marriage is not a sin, but if they are going after somebody who goes after another God, there is a strong possibility that person will lead them to worship this other God, and that is not what we should have for our children. And in verse 31, it says, when the surrounding people brings merchandise or any kind of grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We'll also lease the land, leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year and we'll cancel every debt. Now, this actually wasn't a part of the law that they would not buy from foreigners on the Sabbath. It was they should not do any work or sell on the Sabbath, but they had the freedom to go buy on the Sabbath. But they said, no, no, no. We know if we go start, if we start going to buy from foreigners, sooner or later, we're going to be like, why can't we get in on this? Why we can't make money? They're making money from us on the Sabbath, so why we can't make money from them? So they say, you know what, just to alleviate all of them, all of that, we're not even going to buy on the Sabbath from foreigners. It's just like in this day and age, if we know that watching football on Sunday keeps us from going to church, then guess what? Maybe we shouldn't watch football on Sundays. We should watch Mondays or the highlights. (laughs) But this is how they're contextualizing the law for that day saying we know these things lead astray. And the Sabbath is a holy day. It's a a good day of rest to enjoy all that the Lord has blessed us with and to glorify his name. We won't even go down the path of being led astray like we were. And then the land of leaving the land uh, uncultivated in the seventh year and we'll cancel every debt. That's kind of the year of Jubilee. It's the year of release. It's the year that all things, all those who have debt are set free and they give the land even a time of rest so that the Lord will give more fruit so they they could show this land is not where we find our resources, but we have the resources. He uses it. The land is not our source. God is our source. We just use this land as a resource. So in the seventh year, we commit it back to him. And then they go on. And they just start making all these, co- all these plans to how they're going to commit themselves to the work of the temple. They're going to give money to the temple. They're going to bring their, their goods to the temple, their, their grain to the temple. They're going to bring wood to the temple. They recommitted themselves to say, when we come together in the temple, we're going to come here so we can truly worship. See, their repentance led to a commitment first to God and his worship and then how they care for each other with the good of how they worship. All these things they were bringing to the temple was for the festivals, for the priests and the Levites, and the Levites took care of the people and the community. All these things stemmed back together so that God would be glorified and people would be taken care of. So family, they're showing us here what a right response looks like 
when we realize we have broken away from God, we have sinned towards God, first, we have to look at God. Secondly, we must look at our rebellion. Thirdly, we must accept what we deserve, the consequence of our rebellion. Fourth, acknowledge where we're at. And then fifth, repent and commit ourselves back to this faithful God who was faithful to us in the first place. Now, I don't want you to hear that and think, oh, so I just got to repent and work harder. This isn't a works-based type of sermon. Actually, we do all these things because of the one who worked for us in the first place, the one who did for us first. We don't do so we could be saved. We do because he's done. Do y'all catch that? We, We don't do so that we'll be made right. We do because he's already done. He's already made us right. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, it says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Literally saying, all these works, all this recommitting and all this doing these things to glorify him is because he has already glorified himself in us. He did this beforehand. And that's why the Israelites, when they look back, they say, oh, he's been faithful beforehand. And we rebelled all the times he's been faithful. And he's still being faithful beforehand. So that's why we should respond to this faithful God in a manner of saying, I want to do this to you. I want to glorify you. I want to worship you. And the way we do that, well, first and foremost, with our lives, coming to him, knowing that he has already done it for us. He has already saved us through the work of Jesus Christ, and then we accept that work that's been done on our behalf as a good gift from his hands. Secondly, as we take this work, we recommit ourselves to this God, we must commit ourselves to the local church. Isn't it interesting that the first thing they did as they were repenting towards God is they start looking towards the temple. That is the same thing as Christians we are called to do. We look to the God of heaven and the way we live out our faith on earth is with his people in the temple, bringing all of our goods, not so the church can make a bunch of money. Listen, churches ain't making as much money as you think. But so that the mission of his kingdom can spread and so many more can know of his glorious names and that he can put the church on display and say, these are my people. This is who I take care of and this is what it looks like for me to take care of them. And thirdly, We go forth and tell everybody about this great God. What the Israelites did after this is they lived as a people separated from the pagan pagan people around them so that they could display God everywhere they went. They made sure they made their pilgrimages to the feasts, the festivals, all that had to take place. They worshiped God. It didn't even mean, it didn't even matter if they were in a foreign land, they would stop what they're doing and say, this is the time where we worship God even if we can't get back home to worship God. 
Now, family, that's the same thing we're supposed to do. That's the same thing we're called to do as believers. Look to this faithful God. Look at our sin. Accept that we messed up. Acknowledge that this God is a deliverer who continues to deliver his people and then repent and commit ourselves to him. So I have a question for you. Have you made that right response to turn to this glorious God? To turn to this faithful and holy God who cares for his people? Are you still trying to work it out on your own? If you're still trying to work it out on, on your own, I want to ask, how is that going for you? Does it seem like everything's still falling apart? Maybe you should look to the strong and faithful foundation, the strong rock where we can build our faith upon. Maybe today is the day that you should look to him. So before we leave, I'd like to leave us with something called a sticky note. You know, if you've worked in a professional setting, a sticky note is just something you put at the bottom of your screen, and it helps you remember for the rest of the week. Well, our sticky note for the day is our right response to God is to repent and to commit to the one who first committed to us. Will you commit to this king today? This glorious God today who is always crying out and calling you to himself. Come to me. Come to me. Choose life. Turn away from death. Turn away from the cursing, the curse of this world. Choose me. You commit to him today. Will you pray with me? Father, as we sung earlier, great is thy faithfulness. That is something we can truly truly look to, believe that you are so faithful. Despite our wickedness, despite how often we turn a blind eye to your good and faithful hands, you are still faithful, Lord. Father, I pray today that your word was preached, that you met your people here today, that you showed yourself mighty and strong. That we leave this place looking towards you first, then looking at our sins and then committing ourselves and repenting towards you so that we can live for you because you first committed yourself to us. I pray for all those under the, voice, under the sound of my voice that you would draw them closer to yourself. If there are some who may be in a room who don't know you yet, Father, reveal yourself to them. Show yourself good to them. Show yourself faithful to them. And I pray as we prepare to leave this place that you would go with us through the rest of this week and forevermore, showing us more and more of your truth and your goodness. Lord, we lift all these things up to you. In your son Jesus' name, amen.